0: And welcome to the Cult Cinema Circle Podcast. My name is Jesse, and I'll be your host. So on today's episode, we're going to be talking about uh, one of the ultimate cult movies, one of the ultimate midnight movies. That's right, we're going to be talking about 1975's The Rocky Horror Picture Show. Now, uh, my history with this movie is I probably saw this for the first time when I was about 15 or so in the mid-2000s. I saw it probably on the Fuse channel. Remember the Fuse channel where they had um, like Pants Off Dance Off was a show on there and they did like different interviews with like musicians and stuff. It wasn't like MTV necessarily, but it was a little different. They apparently showed the Rocky Horror Picture Show one night and I I came across it and I also, um, I just felt for it, and I loved it. I remember getting it, I think, for Christmas one year. I still have that same DVD from millions of years ago. Yeah, I have been fortunate enough to be able to see two shadow casts of it when I was in college. My college put on two of them, so that was really great, and it's just been something where I I feel a certain kinship with this movie. I think it was maybe last year or so, I was able to show it to my sister for the first time. You know, uh, she went along with it. So thanks for doing that, sister. <laughs> it was on Hulu and we were able to watch it. I think this film is so great, you know, and I, I really enjoy it because it is such a uh, a celebration of, you know, being different and being unique in yourself. It's such a celebration of being queer As well, I feel like it's just something where, I mean, anybody who's ever felt like an outcast or that maybe they weren't, you know, normal, quote unquote, they can really sometimes identify with this film. And I I think it's really helped a lot of people kind of get through the hard times you know and and be able to know that like everything's going to be pretty much all right and you know uh it doesn't matter if you maybe aren't like you know this cookie cutter type of person there's kind of weirdos all over the place and it's okay to be a little weird as long as you're not hurting anybody so as we normally do on the show we'll talk about some figures of the movie some critical pull quotes that i was able to get from different viewers of the time and you know just people talking about it uh we'll go into a little bit of the history of the film a little bit about like you know the production casting things of that sort um and then we will move into a plot summary i do kind of want to bear in mind that you know the rocky horror picture show um as a whole, I mean, it's a horror musical, pretty much. Um, there's only so much of a plot, but we'll still go over what the pretty much the plot is. And then also, of course, there is some, um, some language in here that, you know, maybe is a little dated at this point. Um, so I just want to be aware of that as well for those who may be sensitive to um, just dated um, language uh, about, you know, people who are uh, maybe identifying differently within their gender. So I just want to be aware of that. But yeah, let's move on to those figures. So the Rocky Horror Picture Show opened September 26th, 1975, and had an estimated budget of about $1.6 million. The box office for this film, I went on the numbers.net, and I believe I found that when it first came out, it made about $2.1 million or something. So again, that's that's alright, but it's not exactly gangbusters. In terms of a gross US and Canada that I found, I found a figure of 112892300 and a gross worldwide of $113,804,859. We're looking at like $225 million overall. Now that has to do with like um, just repeated viewings of this film. The fact that it was a popular midnight movie. It's still a very popular midnight movie that gets played around. It is one of the most longest running um, films ever still being shown. So that's kind of accounts for the box office. We're looking at a Rotten Tomatoes score of... Of 78% on the Tomato Meter and an 85% audience score. We're looking at an IMDb score of 7.4 out of 10 and a Letterboxd score of 4.0 out of 5. For our cast of characters, we have Tim Curry as Dr. Frankenfurter, a scientist. Susan Sarandon as Janet Weiss, a heroine. Barry Bostwick as Brad Majors, a hero. Richard O'Brien as Riff Raff, a handyman. Patricia Quinn as Magenta, a domestic. Nell Campbell as Columbia, a groupie. Jonathan Adams as Dr. Everett V. Scott, a rival scientist. Peter Hinwood as Rocky Horror, a creation. Meatloaf as Eddie, ex-delivery boy. And Charles Gray as the criminologist an expert. So I've got some critical response quotes from critics about this film. So we have good old Roger Ebert from the Chicago Sun-Times who states, Viewed on video simply as a movie without the midnight sideshow, it's cheerful and silly and kind of sweet and forgettable. We have um, the Variety staff just stating, Most of the jokes that might have seemed jolly fun on stage now appear obvious and even flat. The sparkle's gone. And then we have Jacoba Atlas from the Los Angeles Free Press, who states, the music is only adequate and the acting leaves something to be desired, except in the case of Tim Curry, who manages some fine turns as Dr. Frankenfurter. So I wanted to go over just some kind of production history of the film um, before we get into a plot summary. Uh, So Richard O'Brien, who plays Riff Raff and is also the writer of this movie, uh, was living as an unemployed actor in London during the early 70s he wrote most of the Rocky Horror Show which was actually the stage adaptation um, of this play pretty much um, during winter just to occupy himself and since he was young O'Brien had really liked science fiction and B-horror movies so he wanted to combine elements of the unintentional humor of, like, B-horror movies, so think like Planet Nine from Outer Space, portentous dialogue of schlock horror, Steve Reeves' muscle flicks, um, and 50s rock and roll into a musical. And so he conceived and wrote the play, um, The Rocky Horror Show, against the backdrop of the glam era, which had manifested itself in British pop culture, which we definitely see in Frankenfurter's kind of costuming and how they look um allowing his concept to come into being um o'brien states that glam rock allowed me to be myself more so richard o'brien showed a portion of this unfinished script to the australian director jim sharman who directed this movie who decided to direct this at a small experimental space upstairs at the royal court theater in chelsea london which was used as a project space for new work so o'brien had a Appeared briefly in a stage production of Jesus Christ Superstar that Jim Sharman directed. And the two had also worked in Sam Shepard's The Unseen Hand. So Jim Sharman would bring in um, Brian Thompson, who was the production designer. And the original creative team was rounded out by the costume designer Sue Blaine, musical director Richard Hartley, and the stage producer Michael White, who was brought in to produce. And as the musical went into rehearsal, the working title was They Came from Denton High and it was changed before previews at the suggestion of Charmin to the Rocky horror show. So, having premiered in this small 60-seat Royal Court Theater, it moved to larger venues in London. It went to the Chelsea Classic Cinema on King's Road uh, in August 14th, 1973, before it found a quasi-permanent home at King's Road Theater. Um, It was 500 seats from November 3rd of 1973, and then running for six years. The musical made its U.S. debut in Los Angeles in 1974, before playing in New York and as well as other cities. So um, producer and Ode Records owner Lou Adler had attended the London production um, in the winter of 1973, where he brought his friend, Britt Eklund, who was in The Wicker Man, for any of you who may have listened to, I believe it was last week's episode, um, and he immediately decided to purchase the U.S. theatrical rights, and his production will be staged at the Roxy Theater in L.A. And so in 1975, the Rocky Horror Show premiered on Broadway at the 1000 seat um, Belasco Theater. So in terms of filming the Rocky Horror Picture Show, this was set in the fictional town of Denton. Um, The film was shot at Bray Studios in Oakley Court, which was a country house near Maidenhead um, in England, and at Elstree Studios for post-production. Maidenhead, I believe, is also where um, the Spice Girls actually lived together um, when they were first starting out um, as being the Spice Girls. So from October 21st to December 19th 1974, that's when they were shooting this about. Um, Oakley Court was built in 1857 in um, the Victorian Gothic style. It's known for a number of Hammer films that it was used in. And much of the location shooting took place there, although at the time, the manor was not in good condition. And most of the casts were from the original London stage production, so this includes um, Tim Curry, um, who would... Decide that frankenfurter should speak like the queen of england um extravagantly posh pretty much um and then you also have like patricia quinn and nell campbell who also came from the stage production uh but um fox decided because they were going to be distributing the movie uh they insisted on casting the two characters of brad and janet with american actors barry bostwick and susan sarandon So, filming took place during autumn, which made just conditions way worse. And during filming, actually, Susan Sarandon fell ill with um, pneumonia. And the filming of the laboratory scene and the title character's creation um, occurred literally on October 30th, 1974. So, it was a nice little Halloween treat. Um, So, this film is both a parody and tribute to many of the science fiction and horror films of the 30s to the 70s. And so the film production retains many aspects from the stage version, like the production design and the music, but it adds new scenes that were not featured in the original stage play. The film's plot, setting, and style echo that of the Hammer horror films, um, which had their own instantly kind of recognizable style just like how the Universal Monsters did. And the original proposed opening sequence was to contain clips of, like, various films that were mentioned in the lyrics as well as the first few sequences shot in black and white, but this was deemed too expensive and it was scrapped. Another kind of fun thing about that was that it considered to have pretty much everything up to the entering of the house to be shot in black and white. Um, And I think even on a DVD, I don't know if my DVD does it, but I believe um, there is versions of it where it exists where you can have it in black and white yeah. <laughs> Um, and have it then go to color, kind of like The Wizard of Oz in a way. I don't think it really adds probably that much to it, but it's interesting to think at least. So, in terms of costumes, makeup, and props, so in the stage productions, actors generally did their own makeup. However, for the film, the producers um, chose Pierre LaRoche, who had previously been in a makeup artist for Mick Jagger and David Bowie, to redesign the makeup for each of the characters. And production stills were taken by the rock photographer Mick Rock, who had published a number of books for his work Um, Susan Blaine discusses the uh, costumes um, from Rocky Horror's influence on punk music's um, style and they say that um, it was a big part of the build up to punk And she states that ripped fishnet stockings, glitter, and colored hair were directly attributable to Rocky horror. Um, Some of the costumes from the film have been uh, originally used in the stage production, and props and set pieces were reused from old Hammer Horror productions and others. So the tank and the dummy used for Rocky's birth, for example, originally appeared in The Revenge of Frankenstein. And these references to earlier productions, in addition to cutting costs for the film, enhance the cult status of this movie. Susan, uh, Sue Blaine uh, was not keen on working for the film until she became aware that Tim Curry, an old friend of hers, was committed to the project. So Tim Curry and Sue Blaine had worked together um, in Glasgow's Citizens Theater in a production of The Maids, uh, where Tim Curry had actually worn a corset so sue blaine arranged for the theater to loan the corset from the other production for rocky horror and she admits that she did not conduct research for her um designings she had never seen a science fiction film and she was acutely aware that her um Costumes for Brad and Janet may have been generalizations. She's quoted as saying, When I designed Rocky, I never looked at any science fiction movies or comic books. One just automatically knows what spacesuits look like, the same way one intuitively knows how Americans dress. Um, I had never been to the United States, but I had this fixed idea of how people looked there. Americans wore polyester, so their clothes would increase, and their trousers were a bit too short. Since they're very keen on sports, white socks, and white t-shirts played an integral part in their wardrobe. Of course, since doing Rocky, I had been to the United States and admit it was a bit of a generalization, but my ideas worked perfectly for Brad and Janet. The budget for the movie was $1.6 million, far more than the stage production budget, but having to double up on costumes for the film production was expensive. Um, for filming, the corsets from for the finale had to be doubled for the pool scene, with one version drying while the other one was worn on set. And while many of the costumes were exact replicas from the stage production, other costumes were new to filming, so like Columbia's gold sequined Swallowtail coat and her top hat, and then Magenta's maid uniform as well. Soublaine was amazed by the recreation and the understanding of her designs by the fans. So when she first heard that people were dressing up, she thought it would be kind of tacky, but she was surprised to see the depth to which the fans went to recreate her designs. Um, so for example, a horror, a Rocky Horror fan by the name of Mina Kridura, who designs costumes and performed as Columbia for Houston's performance group, um, she states that the best part is when everyone leaves with a big smile on their face, noting that there's such a kitschiness and campiness that it seems to be winking at you. And so the film still plays at many theater locations, and Rocky Horror costumes are often made for Halloween, although... Many require much time and effort to actually make them. So before we move into the plot summary, I just wanted to mention about the cult following of this movie and just dive a little bit more into that. Really, the Rocky Horror Picture Show helped to shape the conditions of cult films' transition from, like, art house to grindhouse style. So this film developed a cult following in 1976, um, starting at the Waverly Theater in New York, which developed into a standardized ritual. So according to Jay Hoberman, who's the author, of midnight movies, it was after five months into the film's midnight run where lines began to be shouted at the audience. So, for example, a gentleman by the name of Louise Ferris Jr., who was a normally quiet teacher, uh, upon seeing the character Janet place a newspaper over her head to protect herself from rain, yelled, "Buy an umbrella, you cheap bitch!" So, originally, Louise and other Rocky Horror pioneers, including Amy Lazarus, Teresa Krukowska. And Bill O'Brien did this to entertain themselves each week, trying to come up with something new to make each other laugh. It's quickly got hot on with other theater goers. And then um, they began this self-proclaimed counterpoint dialogue, which became standard practice and was repeated nearly verbatim at every Uh, screening so performance groups became a staple at rocky horror screenings due to um, in part because of the prominent new york city fan cast so this um, cast was originally run by former school teacher and stand-up comic sal piero and his friend dory hartley um, the latter of whom would portray dr frankenfurter and was one of several performers, including Will Kohler as Brad Majors, Nora Posis as Janet, and Lilius Piero as Magenta, in a flexible rotating cast. So the performances of the audience were scripted and actively discouraged improvising, becoming per- performers in a similar way to the repressed characters. So on Halloween in 1976, people attended in costume and talked back to the screen, and by mid-1978, Rocky Horror was playing in over 50 locations on Fridays and Saturdays at midnight. Newsletters were published by local performance groups, and fans gathered for Rocky Horror conventions. So by the end of 1979, there were twice-weekly showings at over 230 theaters. The National Fan Club was established in 1977 and later merged with the International Fan Club. The fan publication The Transylvanian printed a number of issues, and a semi-regular poster magazine was published as well as an official magazine. Uh, Then we have performance groups in the L.A. area originated at the Fox Theater in 1977, where Michael Wolfson won a lookalike contest as Frankenfurter and won another one at the Tiffany Theater on Sunset Boulevard wolfson's group eventually performed um, in all the la area theaters screening rocky horror including the balboa theater in balboa the cove at hermosa beach and the sands in glendale he was invited to perform at the sombrero playhouse in phoenix arizona at the tiffany theater the audience performance cast had the theater's full cooperation so the local performers entered early and without charge the fans playing, um, Frank for this theater was, a, it was actually a transgender performer by the name of D. Garrett Gafford, who was out of work in 1978 and was trying to raise the funds for a gender reassignment surgery while spending the weekends performing at the Tiffany. Presently, the live action rendition of the Rocky Horror Picture Show is still available for attendance in various locations in Los Angeles, typically Saturday nights at midnight. Um, And then, of course, all over the country, too. By 1978, Rocky Horror had moved from an earlier San Francisco location to the Strand Theater, located near the Tenderloin on Market Street in San Francisco. The performance group there was called Double Feature Celluloid Jam. Uh, It was the first one to act out and perform almost the entire movie, um, unlike the New York cast at the time. So the Strand cast was put um, together from former members of an early Berkeley group um, that was disbanded due to less than enthusiastic management. Frankenfurter was portrayed by Marnie uh, Scofido, who in 1979 attracted many of the older performers from Berkeley. Other members of this group include Michelle Erickson as Columbia her twin sister, Denise Erickson, as Magenta, Kathy Dolan as Janet, and Linda, or Lou, Woods as Riff Raff. Uh, The Strand group performed at two large science fiction conventions in Los Angeles and San Francisco. They were offered a spot at the uh, Mabue, uh, a local punk group, and they also performed for Children's Television of Argentina, which is kind of cool. And I also want to just talk about just the LGBT influence of this film as well. Um, so members of the LGBT community comprised a large part of the Rocky Horror Cult following. They really identified with the embrace of just sexual liberation and androgyny, and they attended the show after show, slowly forming a community a person by the name of Judith A. Uh, Pereno compares Brad and Janet's initiation into Frankenfurter's world to the self-discovery of quote-unquote queer identity and to the traditional initiation of virgins quote-unquote in the shadow cast screenings which when I did them in college when I went to both of them we did have kind of that virgin thing where you know anybody who hadn't seen the movie before uh, would come up in front of everybody and we you know they would just like kind of try embarrass you a little bit i think the one i did they had you do your best orgasm like sound which was kind of fun but yes and then june thomas describes the midnight screenings in delaware as a very queer scene which increased visibility for the lgbt community Uh, you know the folks standing in line outside the state in fishnets and makeup every saturday night undoubtedly widened the sphere of possibilities for gender expression on main street in a place like delaware the Rocky Horror Picture Show remains a cultural phenomenon in both the U.S. and the U.K. Cult film participants are often people on the fringe of society that find connection and community at the screenings, although the film attracts fans of differing um, backgrounds all over the world. And also, of course, I'd be remiss to you know mention the different types of um, adaptations that have happened uh, on TV and things like that. Um, so we have like you know, Glee did a uh, episode of Rocky Horror. Um, you know that '70s show talked about it. Drew Carey show did it. And even movies like Halloween Two uh, from Rob Zombie, um, because literally those characters are dressing up like the Rocky Horror characters, uh, and also The Perks of Being a Wallflower as well. They also, you know, were were doing Rocky Horror as well. <laughs> and this was back in the that was back in the '90s, I think. That was the when that movie was set. So uh, director Rob Zombie cited the Rocky Horror Picture Show as a major influence for his film House of a Thousand Corpses. I would also be remiss if I did not mention the 2016 TV remake, The Rocky Horror Picture Show, Let's Do the Time Warp Again. I will say this right here, right now, that I did watch this movie with my friend at his home. I, it is comparing apples to oranges, there are little things that are good about it, um, but really, for the most part, I would say the beginning part with the Usherette singing science fiction double feature is good. The diversity of the cast, I think, is good as well. Having someone like Laverne Cox in the film playing Frankenfurter, being a you know black transgender woman. And also even some of the Transylvanians as well, you know, having people of color in it uh, and not just having it be like, you know, very predominantly white as the original movie pretty much is. So I'm glad for the diversity of cast and, you know, I guess the Usherette part in the beginning was fine. But other than that, I, I really, I... I I can't watch it again, you know? Um, It's been four-plus years that I've seen it, and I don't want to watch it again. And the people in it, you know, I mean, they can sing. Like, you know, Ryan McCartan and Victoria Justice, and, you know, it's not that these folks, Reeve Carney, like, it's not that they can't sing. Annalise Ashford? I mean, come on. Like, of course they can. These are people who, except for Victoria Justice, I mean, all three of whom I just named have been on Broadway in some way. You know they've done, they've done professional theater. I don't know what it is. It's just it's a little too sanitized for me. Honestly, I feel like it was more of a, a cash grab, if anything, which was kind of weird because it came out in 2016, so they had already like kind of passed the milestone, if you will. You know what I mean? If they did want to do an anniversary thing, but no hate to Kenny Ortega or anything, but I I just. And then you can also get into the things of like, well, you know, Frankenfurter is played by, uh, you know, a transgender woman. and But the whole kind of thing is like, you know, Frankenfurter is supposed to be kind of this like d- male presenting g- person who is, has dressing up in women's clothes, kind of, and, you know, all this kind of stuff. And, and it's supposed to be a little bit more queer than just a transgender woman who is now, you know, doing some sapphic things with, like, Janet, maybe, and then just doing some hetero stuff with Brad. You know what I mean? But that's my own kind of thought, and, you know, uh, I would personally not recommend watching it. Uh, I would just watch the original movie, and you'll, you'll enjoy yourself wholeheartedly. But anyway, let's get to that plot summary. So we open the film on the 20th Century Fox logo, and then we are put into our title sequence where we see um, these lips that come up, and the lips are singing the song Science Fiction Double Feature. And it goes like, you know, it's talking about these different movies from like the 30s, 40s, 50s. And it's this is the opening song, Science Fiction Double Feature. And this is kind of setting the scene of what this movie is exactly about. Because it's very much a parody of these kind of B movies, uh, horror movies, sci-fi movies from the middle of the 20th century. So then once we have this song complete, uh, we then have um, The Wedding. So this is Ralph Hapshat and Buddy Monroe who have just gotten married um, and then in attendance at this wedding you have our like main characters Brad Majors played by Barry Bostwick and Janet Weiss played by Susan Sarandon um, if you didn't already know um, Susan Sarandon was actually married to Chris Sarandon if you don't know who Chris Sarandon is you probably do he was the detective in Child's Play he was the vampire in Fright Night 1985 he is the voice of Jack Skellington, my boo. Um, so they were married at one point, and they're no longer married. You'll also notice that all of these people who are at the wedding are actually also the Transylvanians that show up later, which is always kind of fun. I believe that Brad and Janet met in college or something, and they also knew Ralph and Betty back then. And then, of course, they're at their nice little wedding. Um, you'll also notice that at the wedding as well, you also have... The characters of Tim Curry, Patricia Quinn, and I believe Retro O'Brien are in the background and they play uh, the people who are like owning the church, I guess, which is kind of fun and is always just something notable. So then you have the intro. So Brad and Janet, you know, the car goes off with um, Ralph and Betty. There's a message on the side saying like, you know, um, she got hers, tonight he'll get his or something like that, uh, which I think is really funny. You see that uh, Brad and Janet are just kind of walking over the church, you know, and they're walking past it. You have all that. They also got a photo uh, at the wedding as well. It's very nice. It's so funny because it's fun that these people actually are also going to be The Transylvanians, too, I guess. But um, then you have the song um, of Damn It, Janet that starts. So this is uh, pretty much Brad professing that, like, he loves Janet and, like, they should get married and, you know, be all awesome and wonderful. Uh, And then, of course, there's a billboard in the back that says Denton, the home of happiness at the graveyard, like right there because it's a church graveyard, I guess. But this is a really fun song. Um, And again, it's just talking about how much Brad loves. Janet, how they were getting engaged now, um, and that's all fine and well, and then they decide, um, and they profess the love of each other, and that's all really fun and great. Uh, then after this song, you have the intro to The Criminologist, played by Charles Gray. And he was also played by Tim Curry in the remake, the TV remake on Fox, uh, which is fun. Um, But this criminologist is kind of our narrator throughout the story. He's smoking uh, a cigarette in a cigarette holder, and um, one of his lines is saying, I would like, if I may... To take you on a strange journey. Um, And so he's explaining about like who kind of Janet and Brad are, um, who Everett Scott is a little bit, and pretty much talking about how, like, you know, they were driving along and then, um, you know, they got into this like weird situation that, you know, they'll never ever forget. So after the criminologist speaks, you have Brad and Janet. They're driving to then go visit Dr. Scott. You see that um, Janet is... Uh, reading the newspaper in the car and you have Richard Nixon on the radio which is kind of fun because I guess at the time that this is set I guess he was still in office in some way shape or form or it's to be assumed that this is before he was impeached I guess you're they're driving to meet dr. Scott but they come up against a dead end uh, they also pass by these bikers or these bikers pass by them while they're driving, and Brad's just kind of, like, um, judgmental towards them to be like, you know, life's pretty cheap for those types of people. And then, you know, Brad can comes up on this dead end, and also when he uh, tries to reverse the car back, uh, he ends up, like, getting a flat tire pretty much. But he does not have a spare in his trunk for whatever reason, so now they have to... Um, try to brave the storm to see if they can maybe find a place. Um, But Brad also remembers that they passed a castle uh, a couple uh, miles back. So they decide uh, out in the rain that they're going to brave the storm uh, to try to see if they can get back to the castle that they just passed. So, you know, they're out in the rain, and then the music starts up, and this is our song Over at the Frankenstein Place, which is pretty much just talking about, like, there's a light over at the Frankenstein Place, Um, and then you hear Riff Raff singing as well. Riff Raff is played by Richard O'Brien, the screenwriter of this movie. It's just a pretty, pretty song. I really like it. Um, and it's just really kind of fun. I thought they did alright with it in the remake, I guess. It It was good. Um... This is also where you have, like, um, when you go to a showing and they have props for you, um, they'll normally give you a newspaper so that you can do what Janet's doing and just put the newspaper over your head. <laughs> uh, and then also, um, it's like that. And then like, during the wedding scene, like they'll throw rice at the like screen um, and things of that nature. Uh, and then once over the Frankenstein place is done, we then go back to the criminologist, who again that just kind of explains to us that like they happened upon this house, and they didn't really know what they were getting themselves into, but they're about to see. So then you see that um, Brad and Janet knock on the door, pretty much, or they ring the doorbell, and you get introduced to Riff Raff, who I just said is played by Richard O'Brien, and he just goes, Hello. And then, you know, Brad is saying, like, you know, hi, I'm Brad Majors. This is my fiance, Janet Weiss. Can we use your phone pretty much? And then Riff Raff just says, You're wet And then so- and then um Janet's just like, Yes, it's raining And then Riff says something about you'd better come inside And then uh before he says that um Brad and Janet see a bunch of um motorcycles for some reason that are just like parked outside of this castle so that's fun and so then you get the intro to like i said Raff. you'll also meet magenta in just a little bit um magenta is played by patricia quinn and she is the housekeeper maid person of this uh, particular uh area she's actually on the stairs but nobody seems to notice her until she makes herself noticed um and then they say, uh, I think Brad and Janet call this like this must be a hunting lodge for rich weirdos, which I think is kind of fun. And so then, you know, um, Riff Raff says something about, like, you know, you're coming a good night. This is one of the master's engagements, or, you know, uh, I think he says, you've arrived on a rather special night. It's one of the master's affairs. And then Janet says, like, a oh, lucky him. And then Magenta says, like, you're lucky. He's lucky. I'm lucky. We're all lucky. <laughs> <laughs> and then you have um, the beginning of the most iconic... One of the most iconic parts of this movie is the time warp. Where it's just a jump to the left, bitch. And then it's just a jump to the right. And then you put your hands on your hip, bitch. And you put your knees in tight. But it's that pelvic thrust that just really drives you insane. And we're going to do the time warp again. And again. And again. So... You have the time warp, and this is also the introduction to the Transylvanians, so this is just, like, a group of people who are at this party, um, and all of that. Um, so, you know, they do their little dance, and they do their, you know, they're looking all cute, looking real great, and, uh, then you have, uh, they're done. You also get an introduction to, uh, Columbia, who is, uh, played by Nell Campbell, or Little Nell, and, uh, she's actually an Australian actress. Uh, But she is a tap dancer, and she wears this, like, hot-ass, like, you know, gold, um, like, I don't even know what to call it, but, like, it's this outfit, and it's, like, really, really cute. Um, I also love how the criminologist also has, like, uh, instructions to do the time warp, so very, very thorough. And so, yeah, you have that, and they're all on the ground by by the end of it, which is great, and then, uh, then Brad just says something like, say, do you know how to Madison... And it's just, like, really funny. And then, you know, as they uh, kind of are backing up, like, because they're just like, okay, what the hell is this? Like, I don't know what this is. Um, So as they go through this, um, Brad and Janet are backing up. And they're just like, you know, this isn't the Junior Chamber of Commerce, Brad. And then Brad says something about folk dancing. Like, maybe they'll do some more folk dancing. And then um, Janet's just like, you know, I'm cold and I'm wet and I'm just plain scared. And then, you know, Brad's like, there's nothing to worry about. And then you see the most iconic of characters, Dr. Frankenfurter, played by Tim Curry, who then is singing uh, this song, which is called Sweet Transvestite. Now, of course, that is a uh, dated term, if anything, but again, I'll I'll use it just because that is the literal name of the song. Uh, it's just talking about how, like... It's pretty much talking to... to it's pretty much Dr. Frankfurt just talking about how hot he is. And uh, how great he is. <laughs> um, and I love how, like... There's so many great parts of this song, honestly. Where, like, you know, Tim Curry looks at the camera. And, like, raises his eyebrow. It's just so good. Um, and, like... There's that. There's, like, you know... um, God, getting a satanic mechanic, and then you see just like uh, it's just so he is so um oozing sexuality, if anything, uh, in my opinion. Um, so yeah, that's that's that song. So after that banger of a number by Frankenfurter, um, Brad and Janet actually get stripped down to their underwear and they go up to the lab on the elevator that frankenfurters came down in and um they go up with uh magenta and riffraff and columbia and they are in the lab so you see this like tall ass like ceiling of a lab with the transylvanians there and and frankenfurters in like this like it's not turquoise, but it's like a um, greenish, bluish type of number, like a lab coat thingy, and it looks great. And so they're given shirts to wear because they don't want to just feel exposed. Um, and then Brad is yelling at Frankenfurter and takes his glasses off because he's really, you know, just super. Um, he's just super intimidating, I guess. Uh, and uh, like Furter is like talking about, like, you know, do you have any tattoos, Brad? Like, what about to you, to Janet? And it's just, like, really funny and cute. And so then, um, you have, uh, you have that little scene, and they're kind of interacting. And then you have Frankenfurter's speech that he is delivering to his Transylvanians and to everybody. And I would actually like to do a dramatic reading of that for you now. So, he states, It was strange the way it happened. Suddenly, you gotta break all of the pieces seemed to fit into place what a sucker you've been what a fool the answer was there all the time it took a small accident to make it happen an accident an accident and that is how i discovered the secret that elusive ingredient that spark that is the breath of life. Yes. I have that knowledge. I hold the key to life itself. And then everyone just, like, claps and, like, does their little party, like, favors and stuff. Which, if you go to a cast, you'll normally, if they provide you with, um, supplies, they'll normally give you those to, to do this scene. Um... But, yeah, pretty much what he's saying is, like, he's been able to, like, bring something back from, like, you know, the dead, I guess. Or he was able to make a person, which is cool. Um, But, yeah, that's pretty much what that is. So then you have, um, I think it's Riffraff and Magenta, they just are, like, um, there's this, like, thing with a cover over it, and they just, like, take the cover off of this, like, tub, and it's this, like, fabulous gay-ass, like, tub that is just, like, there, I guess. It's, like, red, and, like, there's just this, like, mummy in it, apparently, and during this, like, Frankenfurter's, like, throw open the switches on the Sonic Oscillator! And so then these, like, paint things from the ceiling come down. It's, like, these little twisty things that you can twist, and then they'll, like, have, like, stuff go into this tub. Like I said, there's this mummy thing inside. Uh, It's just, like, a body that's just, like, you know, it's floating there, I guess, kind of. is just, like, twisting these different, like, colors and shit. The paint that is going into this just makes a gay-ass rainbow, which is great, and then it brings the mummy to life, this thing that was floating. And this is our intro to Rocky Horror, I guess. He's the creation. This uh, is played by Peter Hinwood. And he is singing a song called Sword of Damocles, which is pretty much just his introduction to the world itself, which is kind of fun. And then, like, the refrain of it is just like, Sha-la-la-la, that ain't no crime. Shalala, that ain't no crime, which is just really funny. Uh, so yeah, they sing that song and then, uh, Frankenfurter scolds Rocky. That's not a way to act on your first day, is it? But then he forgives him because, you know, he made him. You know, Frankifer is kind of asking some opinions from people. <laughs> um, and, you know, Riffraff gives an answer, Magenta gives an answer, and then Columbia just calls Rocky okay. Frankifer is just like, okay. And then he asks the opinion of Rocky to, uh, Brad and Janet. And Janet's like, well, I just don't like too many muscles. And then <laughs> Frankifer is like, I didn't make him for you. And so then, after all of this, um, he's talking... Uh, Frankenfurter's then talking about, like, um, this other song, it's I'll Make You a Man. And it's pretty much talking about how, like, he got him these, like, candy cane, like, weight set, I guess, um, to, like, help bulk him up. Even though Rocky's already kind of, like you know, muscly anyway, but he's like a lean muscly, I guess. So like maybe he wants him to be like a little bit more buff. I don't know. Or keep him in shape, I guess. So that's why he's giving this to his creation on the first time, uh, first day on the earth. And then after the song ends, it's a really catchy song. gives him a pommel horse for some reason. And then, like I said, like the, uh, the weights and everything. And then we see, um, that after this, uh, Apparently, something happens where, like, uh, Frankenfurter, like, leans on something too much. And then this, like, uh, it's not a trap door, but it's just, like, a freezer, I guess. It just opens. And then, like, Columbia's just like, Eddie! And this is, like, where we have the intro to Eddie. Um, So Eddie is played by Meatloaf. Rest in peace. Uh, This is the song Hoppatootie, which is pretty much just, like, talking about rock and roll music and... Being fucking Eddie, I guess. Um, and so, um. That's what happens with that. You can tell, I guess, that Eddie and Columbia were uh an item in some way. And then uh Frank and cages Rocky in the elevator from danger. He's trying to protect his little his his man that he made. Um, and then in the meantime, while uh Hoppitudi is finishing up, Frank and actually just kills Eddie with a pickaxe. He gets him back into the freezer or whatever, and he just kills him. And then Frank uh tells Rocky about Eddie and says, you know. And, you know, it was a mercy killing. And I guess we're supposed to either find out now or we find out later that I guess they split the brain of Eddie and Rocky so that it like went together or something. So that's kind of interesting. So then you have um, the ending of I Can Make You a Man. So the song actually kind of then comes back it's like a reprise pretty much so they kind of end and then uh they have this like makeshift little wedding ceremony <laughs> where they have this like nice satin ass bed um that's like up in this lab apparently and uh they they end up uh, going to bed which is nice uh so it's like you know they walk together uh, Frank, you know Frank and uh and Rocky and they walk to the bed together and then Frank just uh jumps into Rocky's arms and they are i guess going to consummate their relationship now So we just had a whole lot happen, and we go back to the criminologist, who says something about the sudden departure of their host. And so pretty much just talking about how Brad and Janet have been exposed to all this, you know, up to this point. They then get sent to their um, respective rooms, Uh, so Janet gets put into, like, a red room, and then Brad gets put into a blue room. And like, I think it's Columbia or Magenta. I think they're like taking each of them and they just like throw their clothes at them, which is really funny. Riffraff and Magenta, they're watching on the camera. They're watching like, I guess they're watching Brad and Janet, it seems like. But they're also deciding, they're watching on the camera, because you just have cameras throughout this whole place. You have a scene with you have a scene with Janet where she's in her bed, and then it seems like someone's coming in, and it apparently is Brad that comes in, and you know, trying to comfort her or whatever. And then you find out it was actually Frankenfurter. Oh no! And it's this whole scene of just like, I would never, I I was saving myself, and be like, Would you want him to see you like this? And it's just like really funny. So then you have that scene. And we'll be about to see that scene in just a minute again. But then Magenta and Riff Raff decide to scare Rocky. So Riffraff like takes the candles that are in their little bedroom and just like is like looking is like just like threatening Rocky with it, I guess, which is kind of weird. And then Rocky goes off running because he's scared of fire because he's like Frankenstein's monster, pretty much, which kind of makes sense. Very influenced by Frankenstein, obviously, somewhere in here. And then as Rocky goes running, he goes escaping. Uh, Magenta and Riff Raff share this elbow handshake, or what we call elbow sex, that are those in the know. Riffraff gives this weird neck kiss to Magenta, which is just kind of odd, and you're just like, oh, okay, what's happening here? But then you have uh, the pretty much same exact scene you just saw with Janet, but now you have it with Brad, <laughs> where it's Frankenfurter coming in as if he's Janet. And... It's, like, a whole thing with that. It's just, like, so funny. And again, it's just, like, uh, what did you do to Janet? Oh, nothing. Why? Do you think I should? It's just, like, really funny and silly. And uh, literally, like, is like, gonna be going down on Brad. And it's, like, you see all this. You see it's simulated, if anything. And then Riff Raff comes on the, um, like, camera or whatever. And he alerts Frankenfurter that Rocky has escaped. And he's being chased by dogs. And then as, you know, Frank of her is just like, come here. You know, they, they want to finish up though. So then you see that, um, Janet is just crying to herself in the lab and she's just like, where's Brad? Where's anybody? You find out, you know, so Janet goes up to the lab, I guess, and she looks on the camera and she's finding out that Brad hooked up with Frankenfurter, which she's just like, oh, no, even though I guess by this point, I think she hooked up with Frankenfurter by this point. And then you find Janet. So you see that she finds Rocky crying in the tub where he came out of because that's where his home is and he's just like scared and so you know she's like did they do this to you let me dress your wounds and she like rips part of like her little like slip that she has on or whatever in the meantime you also see magenta and columbia are watching tv uh, with janet on there and uh columbia has these cute like little mickey mouse ears are really cute magenta yeah magenta is just like doing her hair which is kind of cute And then you have the song, touch, a touch, a touch me, which is pretty much just like, well, like I was pretty much a virgin and right now I'm pretty much horny. So like, come fuck me. And so that's what he does. That's what Rocky Horror does. Um, so, you see that, and then, like, at the end of the song, you see, like, Rocky, then you see Brad, you see Frankenfurter, you see all the people involved, which is just really fun. So then you see, after Touch, Touch, Touch Me, you see that, um, Frankenfurter is beating Riff Raff with a whip for letting Rocky out and letting him escape. The outfit that is rocking here is just so cute and really cute, actually. Um, and so then you see somebody's at the door, Dr. Everett Scott's at the door. Um, which is weird because, like, it's a friend of Brad and Janet, so they're kind of like, "Oh, like, we know him. Like, why is he coming here?" And Frank Converter states that he already knows of Doctor Scott already, and so he let him in. And Doctor Scott, when he comes in, he goes on a fun journey in his wheelchair because he's wheelchair bound, and he just like gets sent through the whole like house pretty much. So he gets sent up the stairs and then through Columbia and Magenta's room, and then he stops off at the Zen room and and then he pretty much is just brought to the lab, I guess. (laughs) Breaks through the wall, I guess. And then uh, Brad's line where he's just like, Great, Scott! And this is where you would throw toilet paper if you were at a shadow cast. So that's fun. So Dr. Scott um, then talks about why he's there, pretty much. Dr. Scott is looking for Eddie, who was his nephew, um, because he went missing a couple months ago. And apparently he sent a letter to him. After... I think it's Riff turns something off or whatever. He like pulls a lever or something. Uh, Janet and Rocky get found out. And there's this whole scene where it's just like, Janet, Brad, Janet, Dr. Scott, Janet, Brad, Rocky, you know, all that kind of stuff. And it's really fun. And I just love that scene so much. It's so silly. Frankenfurter has the line. Once this all's done, uh, where he says, I made you and I can break you just as easily. I think I already said this in my Jawbreaker episode, but uh, Darren Stein loves this movie so much. He's the director and writer of Jawbreaker, and he very much, I mean, absolutely took that line from this movie and put it in his um, his own movie, where you have uh, Courtney and Violet. They're um, you know in the bathroom together, and Courtney's like giving a talking to to Violet, and she literally says, "I made you, and I can break you just as easily." So I love the gays so much. But anyway, so <laughs> then before. The- they can continue arguing. Uh, fucking magenta being dramatic as hell, just like hits a gong and she just says, "Dinner is prepared." Dramatic as hell, which I love. So the criminologist introduces dinner at Frankenfurter's. You have Riff Raff and magenta. They're bringing in food to serve on like these carts or whatever. Then you get the intro to so everyone's sitting down, and then you get the intro to the turkey carver, and it's also used uh, both as a practical like cutting up your food device, but also. As a threatening um, device as well because we'll see that um, Frankenfurter uses it to threaten people, uh, which I've always loved. They're giving wine to everybody, and like again, you know, Frankenfurter's like cutting up the m- the meat that has come in and giving it to everybody. And then he uh, says, like, a toast to absent friends, and then it's like a toast, which I think they do something in the cast for that as well, um, which is kind of fun. They have a little toast. You have the happy birthday to Rocky, which again, they tend to give you like a little party hat so that you can sing it. But it's just singing happy birthday to Rocky because it's his birthday, which is nice. And then everyone just starts eating. Dr. Scott brings up what he's there for. He's looking for Eddie. And then, and then Frankenfurter says, well, that's a tender subject. And so then Columbia is just like out of her wits. And she's just like, please excuse me. And she gets up from the table, and she just, like, walks out of the dining room, and she just screams because her dead love is dead. You see a little bit more of this, and then you see that Dr. Scott claims that Eddie got involved with aliens or something, um, which you're just like, what the heck? And then they go into the song Eddie, which is pretty much about, like, how from the day he was born he was getting into trouble and stuff and he got himself into trouble uh, but then he went missing and then he sent me this letter he says I'm out of my head oh hurry or I may be dead um they mustn't carry out their evil deed Ah! Um, So then it's like, when Eddie said he didn't like his teddy, you knew he was a no-good kid, but when he threatened your life with a switchblade knife, what a guy, makes you cry, und I did. Um, And then after that cute little song that they sang, we find out that, uh, so Frankenfurter pulls the, the tablecloth off, and we find that Eddie's actually uh been killed and he's been served up for dinner um as we already knew who's dead but you know he's dinner now and then we have the song of wise up janet weiss where it's pretty much frankenfurter chasing around janet <laughs> and so you have all this going on it's just like chasing her around frank chases janet up to the lab and and makes everyone stuck to the floor to, like, medusify them or something. Or he does do that, and then, you know, he medusifies everybody by turning them into stone. But before that, they all, like, each one of them, um, I think it's Brad, Janet, Dr. Scott, I think, who say, you know... Something about you're a hot dog, which is like a little thing that they say, which is funny. And then also somebody saying, uh, I think it's Janet who just says, stop! Everyone gets turned into stone, pretty much. Then Columbia speaking her mind. She's just like, you know, uh, you killed my love. And then she also gets turned into stone. So all four of them get turned into stone. But then Magenta and Riff Raff, you find out our brother and sister. And they want to go back to Transylvania. They want to go back to whatever they're from. And this is where I guess you're starting to find out that, like, I'm going on here. Like, uh, they want to go back to wherever the hell they're from. And then they have the weird elbow sex again with Magenta and Riff So then we see the criminologist intro. Um, he pretty much intros the floor show. And you're kind of like, well, wait a minute. There's supposed to be a floor show happening, like, literally in the middle of the night. Like, what the hell? But then you have the goddamn floor show. And I will say this, that this is my favorite piece in this whole movie it's so good so gay i love it and so pretty much everyone um so frankenfurter is getting them all you know done up with their little boas and their little like costumes and shit like that and then he has a thing of like medusa Medusify, you know people so he pulls that one by one um. so Columbia comes she's talking about Rose tints my world keeps me safe from my trouble and pain and her titties are out which is great and then you have Rocky who is then also singing he's just seven hours old truly beautiful to behold and somebody should be told my libido hasn't been controlled and then you have Brad who's just like it's beyond me help me mommy and he's just like being like he's discovered himself I guess and he like puts his leg up like a bad bitch and it's just so cute and then Janet's also like, you know, oh, I feel released. Bad times deceased. And she's just like feeling herself, girl. Like, I love it. So then you have um, after this whole little floor show going on, you have the song Don't Dream It, Be It, which is having Frank um, Frankenfurter in he's walking down from like this Eiffel Tower like RKO thing. You have Frank in the pool with the lifesaver from the Titanic, which I thought was funny. He jumps in there, and that's how you see him. And then it comes in where it's like, Don't dream it. Be it. And it's this whole song. And then everyone gets in the pool, and they're all making out. Um, and so it's like really beautiful and perfect and great then you have the song Wild and Untamed Thing so it's like I'm a wild and an untamed thing I'm a bee with a deadlift sting you get a hit and your mind goes ping and it's just really great and they get into a little chorus line and you can tell that um, Rocky does not know how to dance whatsoever hardly but that's fine Um, and so they have this whole kind of little chorus line that they're doing Um, and then at the end of the song you find out that Riff Raff and Magenta are now in control because now they're in like these space ass suits pretty much with like a damn ray gun and shit for antimatter and the you discover that they're in control now um, I'm your new commander, you're now my prisoner you're now my bitch and like we're going home Okay, we're going back to Transylvania. So then you have, after that, you have the song I'm Going Home, which is the uh, song that Frankenfurter sings. He's singing it in front of like an audience that seems to be there, and it's really pretty. It's really really gorgeous. I love it. It's a great song. And then Riff Raff and Magenta are the only ones actually returning. They're like, oh, I'm sorry we didn't tell you this, but you're actually not coming back, Beach. So, sorry. And Riff Raff shoots Columbia um, because she's screaming, and she's like, During I'm Going Home, she was doing the spotlight, I guess. Um, They shoot Columbia, and it's horrible. And then Frank climbs up a curtain, but then falls down and dies because they shoot him with antimatter. And it's just so sad. And then Rocky, because his love and his creator has been killed, he groans and upset, and he then takes Frank to the top of this little RKO thing. Uh, It's like Eiffel Tower RKO, whatever the hell thing. And pretty much he dies with him. Uh, They fall into the pool, and like... But they die together though, you know, and it's just very, very King Kong, obviously, very much that. But it's just so sad. So then the only people left are Brad, Janet, and Dr. Scott. When Dr. Scott had got his life baby, like, he was... Because he also got demedusified, and, like, he's he has his little legs are kicking up and everything. He was looking great. But anyway, so then Riff Raff is saying something about, like, they never liked me! And now that, you know, Riff Raff and Magenta are showing that, like, oh, hey, you better leave, you better get out of here, because we're going to go back to Transylvania... Uh, I know that there's like another thing before that, but I would not use that term. Um, but it's, um, trans Transylvania, if you will, kind of a thing. And so then you have, uh, yeah. So, you know, they gotta, they gotta leave. They gotta get out, bitch. So then, um, the house beams back up and it flies away because it's like a goddamn UFO apparently. And so then in the, U.S. version, the end of this movie, you see the house fly away and you see it like take off and become a rocket UFO thing. You just see like there's this like circular motion of these. You see that shot of like Brad, Janet, and dr scott like on there but in the uk version which i have a version of that on the dvd i have um it's actually another song that's in the um musical it's called superheroes and it's like these people um so it's brad janet and dr scott who are just like you know, crawling. I guess Dr. Scott's not necessarily crawling, but it's Brad and Janet kind of crawling and you just talk about the shit that they've been through. It's a really good little song. And you can see it on the UK version. Um or you can also find it on YouTube too in case you have the US version. Or you're streaming it or something like that if it's streaming anywhere. Uh, it's actually streaming on um, Disney Plus in the UK, which is kind of fun. Why is Frankenfurter not a Disney princess? I don't know, but, you know, whatever. And then you have the ending of the movie with the criminologist, and the criminologist ends with a monologue. Um, And I will actually uh, recite that for you now. And crawling on the planet's face, some insect called the human race, lost in time, lost in space, and meaning. And then that's the end of the Rocky Horror Picture Show. You can, you know, tell this uh, movie doesn't have a ton of uh, plot that you really have to, you you know, follow or anything. I will say that, I mean, this movie really does... I mean, it does exactly what it needs to do. It is completely a send up a parody satire of these, like be horror movies, be sci-fi movies. Um, you know, all that kind of stuff that, you know, Richard O'Brien loved. It's just really nice to see this. And, and also again, I think it just embraces the weird, the macabre, it embraces queer. And, you know, I just really love that. And, I think a lot of other people obviously like it too, and hopefully you do if you're listening to this. But yeah, uh, I think with Rocky Horror, in terms of finding it to stream or anything, uh, you can generally, I think you can get it on YouTube pretty easily if you want to rent it or something. Uh, as I stated earlier, um, it was on Hulu back in like the Halloween time of 2021, so who knows if Hulu does Huluween again. It might be on there again, and that awful remake might be on there too, but I don't know. It's also streaming on Disney Plus in the UK so if you have a VPN or anything like that I do I have it on my television and uh, that's the way I can watch that on uh, Disney Plus which I think is really funny but also you can get the DVD of this uh, I think it was a blue right now But yeah, I would definitely, if you haven't already done so, you know, get into Rocky Horror and watch it just at least once to kind of give yourself that. I think this is a great um, film to watch with friends, maybe watch with a couple drinks, uh, or under the influence of whatever the hell you want to, I guess, be under the influence of. Don't go too hard, though, because you want to enjoy yourself. This would definitely be a fun movie to watch while you're high on marijuana yeah but that's a little bit more you know but that's the end of the rocky horror picture show so i definitely uh i recommend it to anybody i love this movie for over 15 years at this point now and i hope you enjoy it too as always, if you'd like to get in touch with me, you can do so by emailing cultcinemacircle at gmail.com. If you want to give any movie recommendations, give feedback on the show, or if you just want to say, hey, girl, hey, I'm open to all of it. You can also follow Cult Cinema Circle on Instagram, Twitter, and Letterboxd. Instagram handle is Cult Cinema Circle. Twitter handle is Cult circle. On those platforms, I tend to post when new episodes release, I'll post what the next episode is going to be. Uh, I make Instagram stories, really little fun facts and all that, and just general fun stuff over there. And on Letterboxd, you can find me at jesse, J-E-S-S-E, kremp, K-R-E-M-P, all one word. On there, I tend to log the movies that I've been watching, I write little reviews about them, and just general foolishness over there. Be sure to rate, comment, and subscribe to the Cult Cinema Circle podcast on your podcatcher of choice. You can find the show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Audible, or wherever you like to listen to your favorite podcasts. I make it pretty easy for you to find the show. Be sure to leave five stars and a one-to-two sentence review. Um, It helps get people to see the show more, and it helps more people find the show in general. As always, thank you for taking the time to listen to the Cult Cinema Circle podcast, and remember... A mental mind fuck can be nice. Take care, bye.